Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. discussion last week about the intro um and i gotta say it everything made sense we made lots of good points we really should have just recorded one good version of the intro 290 whatever episodes ago but you know tough shit we've we've gone this far uh i think we're we're riding this out uh but anyway like if you know me you know that uh, doing this show is one of my favorite things to do every week. And so it's a huge bummer when I can't be on the recording and I try really hard to only miss it if there is some sort of like major extenuating circumstance. And there has been. <laughs> uh, I have uh, last COVID? week. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, last week, I was in D.C. working in my office uh, for the first time all year uh, because it was the countdown, the final week before publication of the great big honkin' investigative journalism project that I and my colleagues and... Uh, a grand total of about 600 journalists across the world have been working on. Um, and so, like, obviously I didn't travel with recording stuff, but even if I had, I, I wouldn't have had time because it was, it was, you know, it was a crunch period. And also, uh, to put it mildly, I was a tiny bit stress the fuck out yeah um and i i don't want to spend i don't want to spend all of this podcast like pimping the project i'll i'll certainly talk about it later uh in the big idea just to to spoil the end of the show for you uh but it'll it'll come up a little bit throughout this but but you know pierce as as we've been talking about this since our since we started publishing stories on Sunday, um, you your interest was piqued by this idea that I've been working on something all year that I haven't been allowed to talk about. Yeah, and and it's um, you know I should also say Max is not with us today, and I have a sense of what he works on, and it's much closer to what I work on. Um, and what you just went through, Sean, 
And Kevin, what in a lot of ways I think you've always gone through is you have this work and in a lot of ways it's there ends up being a product, which is which is very nice that you have a thing that is almost tangible. Um, and the way for it to be good is to keep it a secret. In some ways, you all are working with secrets or at least things that you can't share until basically they they go live, they become a reality. And I am kind of impressed with these secrets. Um, And I should also say that the new James Bond movie is just out and and I would like to see it. And so I'm thinking about that too in context of like how cool secrets are. Um, But it's just part of the job for for you all. And and I'm interested just, just from the start and, you know, Sean's, you know, has to do with reporting and and we i think have an understanding of of why we keep that secret but kevin you are also working on things that um keeping it confidential is is very important and it is that something that you even think about day to day that you are working on things that you shouldn't talk about um in, in my job not uh, i don't think about it very often partly because the projects are so long they're you know, maybe close to two years. Um, mm-hmm. And then even by the th- when we finish them until they're um, public information that there's, you know, there's an even bigger gap. Um, but additionally with the specific thing I make, I make computer chips. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of the things that are changed are just like the specifications of it. How fast can it run? How much stuff can it do? Mm-hmm. So, in general, it's not like I'm keeping this uh, crazy, innovative thing secret. It's that I just have to kind of keep the specs secret because that is kind of the information that competitors would use to get an advantage. And there are a lot with with computer chips in general. A lot depends on what people go and do with them. So, um, yeah, I think there are. Um, I think it's exciting if I'm trying and like in order to achieve these specs if I'm trying to design something novel or make something better have like a specific and I'm like drawing up a circuit diagram or whatever that's kind of exciting to think that I might be pushing the envelope of something that might you know reach a lot of people Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I, I think it's exciting to work on that stuff but in my I haven't really like I don't find it a challenge to keep it a secret because a lot of people probably wouldn't even really i would not have communicated anyway but but in and sean this is where i think there might be a, a bit of a difference that i would want you to unpack what kevin just described is like yeah it's a secret but it, it can go long and everything and it might be something that feels small but there is intrinsic value both to consumers and unfortunately stockholders shareholders <laughs> in that in that sure. knowledge you have and if it was shared you know the i don't know the words like if you shared that, that would be insider trading well, potentially. Well, yeah. Or what you've described is it has a name. They're trade secrets. Yes. And, and and I think that you know, I mean, on some level, I had trade secrets and and things that I was not supposed to talk about when I worked a digital marketing job. Like you know, we had developed some proprietary platforms that we used to track and and measure the effectiveness of online ad campaigns. And obviously like you can't, you can't talk about stuff like that out to the world. And and so like, I I actually, I totally understand 
and agree with Kevin's perspective because that's that's how I felt for four years. It wasn't uh, there wasn't like a general secrecy about what I was doing, and so that that certainly was different. But like for a reporting project, the product is the information, mm-hmm. and so just like always, there's a certain base level to which you know what you're working on kind of has to stay at least a little bit close to the vest, you know, and and it could be because you're, you know, a local reporter and, and you're trying, you're trying to break news on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and you don't want to get scooped by your competitors. But the kind of stuff that ICIJ, my employer does is these big long i mean they're they're you know one to two year projects much in the same way that the stuff that kevin is working on but there's not there's not that intermediary period like after the project is completed before it come becomes public information like the whole thing is working towards a release but the work is based on things that are supposed to be secret that we're essentially we're working with if Kevin with with the stuff that Kevin was not supposed to tell anyone you mm-hmm. know it, this project is based on nearly 12 million leaked documents from uh, from law firms and wealth management companies and, and intermediaries that help the rich and powerful set up offshore shell companies and so like these are, are documents that are ostensibly not intended for public consumption uh ever like they're not not really ever supposed to be released and so there is a certain level of uh necessary uh lockdown and, and information security because this is information that a lot of people want very badly to keep secret and you know there it is very sad that the the number of investigative journalists who have been killed for what they are working on is not zero um so so that's just sort of another another occupational hazard uh you know not so much in in the US but but as a global profession that you know that leads it leads it to be really important (laughs) for you to keep Mm -hmm. what you're working on, uh, you know, for eyes only as they might say. Yeah. And, and what you've described, I think, unfortunately is a bit of a, of a stick, which is actual, actual fear for, for, you know, what can happen if this gets into, to the wrong hands, the wrong eyes, whatever it is. But, you know, I think, uh, investigative journalism can be dangerous as, as you've described. Um, I, I, I think that the trade secrets example, which you both have, um, you know, experience in, um, I think is maybe more, those are, those are very impactful things. And I think they are, um, experiences that more people than we probably realize have. I mean, not everybody has, you know, the secret of, of, 
you know, what's going on in, in a certain cartel or, you know, it's not James Bond who has, you know, is, is trying to retrieve a secret or extract someone or something like that. But this this type of trade secrets, I, I think, is is interesting because, you know, going back to the stick example, um, you want to keep that secret because you want to keep your job. Um, you don't want to cause a bad influence for your 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 company because that will hurt you in some form or fashion. But there's also the carrot, and that is like I want this product, which applies to the journalism, which applies to advertising, which applies to the computer chips. I want this to be as as good as as possible, and like that type of buy-in. I don't know if you all think about that, but that that carrot of like, hey, you should care about the product, you should keep the secret, feels to me like a really powerful way to, you know, create a a certain culture where you work. Yeah, the uh, I th- I think that part of it is implicit in that um, you know you're you'll constantly be told by you know the higher ups that these secrets give us our competitive advantage and the better. The company does you know, the better. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's it's good when the company does well, and um, depending on what you do, sometimes like the only secrets you may know is like if something is going wrong, um, mm. because like again with the thing I make it 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 then gets used in the products that are more consumer facing. So like I don't really know what's going on with them. I would just know if we were personally not you know handling our our part well um but i also have uh i had kind of a trade secret that was that presented itself differently and that i worked for a defense contractor and that was kind of not quite the fear of being killed as an investigative journalist but you know, it, the, the secret getting out isn't about the competitive edge of the company it's about uh compromising some security issue so the I think nation. That, <laughs> yeah, I mean again I don't know that was the case where I, I had no idea what was using our stuff. Um but that they would kind of try to, you know, make a culture around like, you know, think about your your duty, think about the the people relying on you. They'd get like hype guys from the military to come and say, Yeah, like, oh like you know, this stuff's super important, blah blah blah. So yeah, I think that there are multiple ways that it can kind of present itself, and um, it, it for me, it'd get me yeah a bit, a bit fired up. I think it's another one of those things where the projects are so long, and you kind of you'll you know, start to forget about that part of it, and then they bring the people in, and then they get you hyped up again, or then you have the quarterly meeting where the president of hardware is like, "Oh, keep it up, guys, we're doing great." Um, so yeah, I think that trade secrets are all a part of the. The competitive advantage um and yeah yeah i th- so so from from my perspective i don't know that i ever thought about it as a carrot in quite that way i i would think of the secrecy as is good mostly in in the sense of by uh, you know you you get a certain level of good from avoiding the bad and so for I think for me for most of the year the absence of the stick was actually the carrot mm-hmm. um but but as I think about it now and this is something that I I I didn't 
really stop and think about so much throughout the rest of this year um, is that for this kind of project, um, it's like a chicken and egg thing. The secrecy is how you get the good stuff. It's how you get these piles of leaked documents it by you know by having having done good work of this kind in the past you know we've established ourselves as a a real trustworthy leader on this thing to to the point where like when when a, a whistleblower wants to uh you know wants to shine a light on wrongdoing or, or or something that that seems unethical like uh, we are a name that comes to mind pretty quickly and so like that is that is a real that is a very real positive motivator um but i i think that i think that it can be easy you know this this project that was nearly a year long for me and, and up to two years long for some people uh, that, that have worked on it, you know, has so many moving parts and, and individual steps that it's hard. I think it is easier to keep an eye out for big sort of macro sticks than it is mm-hmm. to look for big macro carrots like that. And, and so like I was very focused from week to week on like whatever the sort of sub step that I was working on, whether it was doing a, a data analysis or, or trying to generate a, a list of names to, to search for in a database um, or like, you know, making revisions to a draft of, of a story. Like those things were really kind of top of mind. And I, that is all very likely something that is a a Sean quality. Like I tend to get very kind of bogged down in trees and forgetting that I'm in a forest. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like, I I don't want to discount the idea that for some of my colleagues or for someone else who does a similar type of work somewhere else that, you know, that the secrecy of it is, like a, a real drawing point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, even as, as you're describing there, like, you know, focusing on the trees, not the forest. Um, I had a note on here, you know, about thinking back to spies and it's like, um, and, and I thought it would be kind of silly to say, but Kevin, you indicated that actually spies being told that the reason you keep this, these secrets is because you're a good patriot actually applies to you as as well it's like you know you they are actually telling you hey this is what you do and and i think sean like being a good patriot is really being a good journalist for you there is this like you know also the the morals of the job Mm -hmm. and and i and i kind of thought about that too is like all right when we're talking about keeping secrets i mean maybe this is in a religious text and it's it's a commandment that i am unfamiliar with but this is i i think this keeping secrets keeping truth is like this very personal compassionate bond that that we have that i don't know where it comes from but i definitely think about sometimes like 
you know, do we have these just innate human kind of morals and keeping someone's truth private if if they ask you to might be one of those. And I, I think that might be part of it is like you just of course you're going to keep a secret. Well, yeah, I mean, I think everyone knows that on the eighth day, the Lord said, thou shalt not snitch. But but like, I, you know, he said the first rule of Fight Club. Is. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, I signed a contract that said you are not allowed to talk about the details of this project with anyone who is not a part of the project. I'm like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. Um, it's it it is fairly it is fairly easy to maintain that and not actually talk about it if you have signed a document saying you will not talk about it. You know, my mm-hmm. I, God bless my parents. The number of times <laughs> that that they asked me uh, in the last six months, you know, uh, <laughs> what what this project was about, and I had to be like, I, I, I love you. I can't tell you, um, and and it's like. You know, it's a thing that is, that part of it is legitimately kind of difficult. Um, You know, I I talk to my parents probably about once a week and it's a lot of like wanting to catch up and, and they want to know how I'm doing and you know, what's going on at work is a part of that. Uh, And I had to, you know, I would have to say like, it was really busy this week. I had a lot of stuff to do, but I can't tell you about any of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so like that, there were, there were parts of that that are, are legitimately quite difficult. I mean, it, it was, um, I think it, at some points it was kind of a, a strain for, for me and Emily because, uh, we, we had this, uh, this fun asymmetry where she's a teacher. And so she works, all day like on her feet talking to people like has to be on and so at the end of the day there's like nothing more that she wants than to put on sweatpants and watch tv for two hours in silence and me i sit in this bunker of a second bedroom quote-unquote office looking at a monitor reading secret documents and you know having having some like zoom call type meetings but by and large just like alone with my thoughts and at the end of the day all i want is to just talk somebody's ear off and i can't do it (laughs) i can't talk about that but i don't have anything else to talk about because this thing has been consuming my life for 10 months so like it is there there were (laughs) there were some points where it was really quite stressful Yeah, and and you mentioned the contract in there, and that that you know this the stress and and you know feeling you know your agency in all this, and um, I think even I mean I know that even I have have those, and I have to make certain attestations every year, and you know this maybe there's a falseness in all of this that that actually they aren't our secrets to tell because we don't actually own any of our ideas i mean i have something that i sign every year that says anything you produce any ideas you have on our dime they mm-hmm. are not your ideas yeah. and and so there is something thrilling i i hear from both of you which is i have this thing that has intrinsic value um and i know it but also it is it, it, maybe that's part of it. But it, the value is not the necessarily 
the value is not necessarily for me. Yes, it, yeah. it, it's and it, it, that's that's right. And and maybe I mean I think that's kind of the the uh, you know the nature of a secret too is it's um, you know it's it's someone else's that you are now part you know a participant in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think with a lot of engineering, unless you are. Uh, at a at a smaller company, like I guess you're pretty high up the food chain. I guess in general, you are engineering someone else's idea, mm-hmm. and so I think that like is part of maybe what makes the secret, or like would maybe make the secret easier to keep. It's not like you have this um, grand idea of yours that you have to kind of keep secret because unless you're trying to start your own company, um, you know, it's it's probably someone else's idea, and you, you have these other goals to make for the the company like you don't have complete complete ownership mm-hmm. of it yeah and i guess you know we've also inherent in this um we have talked about how keeping a secret at your job is a good thing um but i think part of that is framed in that we believe that the product that we are putting out there is really valuable and it is value to keep it a yeah. secret until such time um but also, keeping things topical, we just had um, a Facebook whistleblower uh, go in front of, of Congress and go on 60 Minutes and share information that that is uh, a di- you know divergent from the product, hurts that product, and we find a lot of value as consumers and maybe not shareholders, but certainly as consumers, knowing these trade secrets now. Um, and I mean that that feels like a different thing and we don't necessarily have to get into it but i do want to just say that there are times that as i don't know concerned human beings where we do want secrets to be shared well i i I think so i don't know if it's that we want secrets to be shared so much as that we want for i'm trying to think of the right way to word this we want Things, we only want things that should be secrets to be secrets, and not everything should be a secret. And that's the whole core of whistleblowing is like, it, it, you know, if a company is, is doing something that is morally wrong or ethically dubious, like, I don't, in my guts, I don't believe that that should be allowed to be a secret. And so, you know, it's not... It's not that I want all of Facebook's trade secrets to be public. I just want, you know, I, I want a, a better, more open and honest calibration of what should be kept secret and what should be allowed to be kept secret, if that makes sense. Yeah, and like the people who work on developing you know, the, the a lot of the algorithms or whatever for Instagram, they like that's probably just as much of a secret to them as it is to the the rest of us you know it's like the there's a the the trade secrets that they are keeping are different from the trade secrets than like the the people who run instagram at a higher level or work on like the user experience of of instagram Mm -hmm. so it's yeah and like in this case it's just like there are two different secrets for the same product um but like one of them is the one that probably shouldn't be a secret yeah on some on some level you have to do like 
you have to do sort of like a a trolley problem sort of thing where where you kind of balance between the fact that making some of this stuff public will inevitably cause some harm to to the company and and, and may in the result you know um may result in the process in causing some harm to employees um but you have to balance that against harm caused to to outside parties to the users uh, the users or the customers and i think for me you know it's not like a hard and fast rule but i i would say i tend to in my personal moral calculus think that the harm to the users or the customers uh, nearly always outweighs the harm to the company and to the employees of the company. I, I'm sure there are. I, I'm sure there are a zillion examples where I would say, "Ah, uh, no, maybe not." But like, as a general principle, like, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to get away with hurting your <laughs> your consumer base somehow. Yeah, and and I mean, I think about it in terms of you know, be it you're making a computer chip, um, you you are are making an algorithm, or you're making a pencil. Like if you are engineering that, if you are making that product, okay, I, inherently in those there's probably not harm. But to your point, Kevin, the higher ups who decide the application of those things and the harm caused by that to users, I think to your point, Sean, it's like then it's like we we balance those 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 things out. So I mean, I know harm can is unfortunately not always easy to pinpoint what it is but i think in this instance of of the facebook whistleblower we kind of see how it you know how it's been used and we're like ah yes that that i'm glad that that secret was shared and it's not i mean it's not um to i mean no one's saying like hey the people who who developed you know the algorithm are are inherently evil i don't know that that anyone necessarily said that but you know the application of it is the part where you go ooh i i don't like that yeah with with my stuff i can take the same thing and i if i make the computer chip uh faster it's i could say either it's so that some other kid plays more violent video games and gets addicted to them or i could say or it's used in these supercomputer centers where they're you know running scientific simulations to to fight and- virus or yeah, and I know Sean, you should you should note here that we are perilously close to the the guns don't kill people or the whatever that thing people say about who kills people. Mm-hmm. But we're not we're not getting into that. That's that's a different thing. But um, you know, the application of the product, you know, certain people have control yeah. over that and others don't. Yeah, well, like with Facebook yesterday, they when they went down, they were like, well, sorry for the businesses that I actually use Facebook for. Like important, important reasons. No, I, I, I think that day was a, a merciful wonder for the people for whom, like, maybe not for people who work at Facebook, but like for, um, you know, in my marketing job, Facebook was kind of an integral thing because we ran a lot of ad campaigns on Facebook, and I. I can just sort of picture myself three years into that four-year job, and if Facebook went down for a whole day, that would have been, like, 
second Christmas for me. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> I, I think some people would say it would be like the second date that they were served with like divorce oh, papers. God. I'm sure it was very stressful. Uh, yes, but. that is. But, you know, Christmas is stressful for some people. Um, yeah, it, it is a little guns don't kill people, people kill people. But like the thing is, guns kill people and people kill people. That's the 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 con isn't the con in trying to convince you that only one of those two can kill people. Unless one of those people is Chuck Norris. Yes, that's a con. <laughs> guns don't kill people. Chuck Norris kills guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're we're getting a little silly. Uh, yeah, so, but find find you a job where you care to keep the secrets because it makes you feel empowered. As long as they don't hurt. Or anybody. just accept that, as your problematic fave once said, that's what the money's for. Yeah, that is what the money's for. Do what it says in the contract. <laughs> yeah, but also don't go to the extreme where you are working for a top secret thing and have to not have access to the outside internet while you work all day that sounds terrible <laughs> we know people who do that uh, yeah just or, or yeah. like do it if you want to do it if that's what you want to do but yes but like you know have 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 a moral compass have a calibration and and be i don't know maybe be willing maybe be willing to to stand up for for that moral compass at your own professional peril should the time come like if if that's if that's the kind of if that's the kind of world you find yourself in where where something you know something strikes you as wrong like the world needs more people that uh you know as as corny as the the slogan is that that see something and say something so i don't know it's uh it's been my views on that have certainly been been shaped by 10 months of investigative journalism. No doubt about it. Um, okay. On, on that note, uh, we'll, we'll wrap that and move on to Pierce's sorry. What are you apologizing for today? So this is, this is a note I, I had down. And as I was thinking about what we're discussing today, what we've discussed today, it, it felt um, kind of appropriate because we've we've talked here about um, work where there is something you produce in a lot of ways and, and something that that you are connected to and you are compelled to continue working on it in a lot of ways and one thing that and I'm not even I'm not sure who I'm apologizing to but in some ways I I, I it's a it's a relationship that that maybe should have been there. Um, I was always very bad at the science fair, and I realized in retrospect, it kind of struck me recently, and I was I was upset about it because I think that being connected to to a product, which the science fair is is an experiment a lot of times, and you have a product that you're connected to, um, and and you execute. Um, you know, I think that kids should be empowered to investigate something that has some sort of value is not just, I mean, maybe, maybe potato batteries is, is compelling, but like, I don't know. I think especially as I got older and reached double digits in age, um, as someone who otherwise did pretty well in school, um, I think that there was some failing 
probably on my part to a degree and probably on other people's parts too, um, where I should have been more uh, eager to do well in that and, and have been curious been curious about it because that was something that I was in most other things. And um, as such, I think that I am not someone who like gets as jazzed or didn't at that point, it's getting better now, about being connected to this product that I'm working on, something that I am investigating, something that I'm researching. So I'm sorry for being bad at the science fair, but also there are other people that should have helped me out. I don't know who you are, but you should have. You know what I blame? You know what I blame me? It's the answer is probably public school, but I don't know that that's even fair. <laughs> oh, there we go. That was a classic. I I'm sorry, but also someone else should have helped me do the thing. I mean, yeah, it can't about. it can't just be it can't just be me there. <laughs> so did you have the like the physical fitness prowess to be a James Bond spy, but just not the scientific knowledge? <laughs> I don't I don't think I had any of it. I mean, as as we know, it was in the College of Arts and Sciences. You know, there's there's a long pause there in sciences. So you can write books about James Bond. Ooh. I, yeah, I, I could I could definitely do a, a hot take blog post or two about James Bond. Actually, I have before. I once wrote something about why Idris Elba can't be James Bond. You did? Mm-hmm. Not not for us, but like a very long time ago. And my conclusion was he looks he looks really good with like a goatee or a beard. James Bond never has a beard. Mm. Like, is that something that they be willing to to change? You know, allow James Bond to have facial hair. I think they should, but um, I think that's going to be the thing that trips them up. Huh. I never thought about it that way. Interesting. Um, okay. Well, uh, I don't know. Let's let's close the show with a big idea from pop culture, and uh, you know, sh- shocker, uh, the the thing that I have been spending the most time on for the last week and and the last many many months really is the Pandora Papers. It's a project by my employer, ICIJ, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, and hundreds of reporters in uh i believe the tally is 117 countries uh and it's uh, it's an exploration of the secretive offshore finance industry and so there there are lots of great stories all over the place it was the kind of front page story of the washington post three days in a row um and and uh our staff put out a ton of great stories on uh, things like uh, uh, potentially looted Cambodian relics turning up in art museums all over the world uh, and and the uh, now deceased but formerly indicted antiquities dealer who helped facilitate a lot of these transactions. Uh, And I wrote about uh, the celebrities that we found in our our many files uh and and the offshore companies that they set up so if you have an interest in say julio iglesias using a network of offshore companies to accumulate 90 million dollars of south florida real estate uh or uh or the ways that uh soccer players in spain uh kind of 
skirt some some tax things by how they are able to <laughs> classify their income. I'll uh, I'll drop a link uh, in the show notes for you. But also, so this is not just one long episode of of me bragging about <laughs> the work that I've been doing for months. <clears throat> uh, I also just finished reading uh, the Birth of Loud, which is a book that. Mm. Uh, was the genesis of a two-part episode of Stuff You Should Know about Leo Fender and Les Paul. Um, and, and and it's sort of a, a narrative nonfiction. It's a, a chronological history of the uh, kind of the space race uh, to, you know, to get out the first um, mass production solid body electric guitar. And that is some serious music dork shit, I am well aware. Uh, but what I would say is that uh, the the last chapter of the book before the epilogue uh, ends with a, a truly marvelous uh, description of... Jimi Hendrix's performance of the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock, and I, I, uh, I actually kind of split duty between a library copy and a library audiobook copy. So I listened to the end of the book this morning while I was on a very long walk, and uh, had that wonderful phenomenon where. Uh, where like you can hear something else in your head as you read or, or listen to something. And so like it, it was a wonderful description of the way the song goes and, and the many guitar histrionics contained therein. Um, and, and I would highly recommend uh, if you can get your myths on a copy, um, even if you are not interested in, guitar like you don't have to read the whole book uh just like check it out from your library and read the last chapter while you listen to that recording of the star spangled banner i I, that's worth the price of admission on its own so uh pedora papers and the birth of loud uh felt like i you know after i wasn't here last week i had to had to come with two things yeah Oh, both of those are are pretty compelling. Um, I say as I look over to my right at a Fender amp on the floor of my yeah. office. Um, yeah. So. yeah, the joke's on you, Julio, because all of that real estate is going to go into the ocean soon enough. So, <sighs> oh boy, yeah, I don't I don't want to have to think about that. Uh, so so to to get away from that thought, I will say uh, that's the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web, www.prettyokpod.com. You can subscribe to the show feed on your podcast app of choice. Uh, if you do that, leave a rating, review, that sort of thing, or just tell a friend about the show. We'd love to share it with them as well. We'll be back next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening. Bye.